Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Drawn Together podcast with Ash and Geekly. It's been a long time since we've had a podcast episode, but we are back with a brand new one. And because of that, we wanted to make this a treat. It's one of the longer episodes, so with that, I'm not going to cut away in the middle of it to plug our socials like we do in most episodes. I'm going to do them here at the start. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Geekly. I, I mean, it's not called It's Geekly. The channel is just called Geekly, G-E-E-K-I-L-Y. And follow Ash, Ash Casera Gonzalez. That's the YouTube channel. AshCG underscore art is the Instagram and Ash.art1 on TikTok. This is all about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We actually recorded this two weeks after seeing the movie, maybe a week and a half after, but it's been a nightmare editing and uploading this. So I'm sorry we're talking about it so late, but hey, it'll be relevant again soon because the movie's coming to streaming and home video and all that stuff. So yeah, just please forgive us for that, but we'll have more episodes coming soon. That's it. We're getting into the podcast. Let's start it. This is the Drawn Together Podcast. Hummingbird, you know, it's our time. It's our time. Yeah. I did not know we were open with the soundtrack. I should have thought of that. I just, I just randomly tried something. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. We saw a movie. (laughs) I'm not even addressing the audience. Hi, audience. How are you doing? Yeah. So the like movie of the movie of the century came out like two weeks ago. It really did. We saw it the day before opening night because we're built different yeah. or whatever. I don't know. Real fans. <laughs> yeah, we, we we wore our silly outfits and we went to the theater and it was very fun. It was. I cried at least twice. <laughs> at least twice. <laughs> I love how I'm giggling, but I did the same thing. Uh, no, you were also crying. Yeah, no, obviously, how could I not? You guys know, well, I have to spoil. We didn't say the title of the movie already. We saw Spider-Verse. We saw Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And if you know anything about me, the Spider-Man mythos, the Spider-Man lore, the Spider-Man character is one of the- Yeah, one of the most important pieces of fiction to me. One of the first superheroes, comic book related anything that I really became a fan of in general. So to have a movie this fire, come on now. Come on now. How do you think I feel about it? Crazy, dude. Like, okay. So obviously for this episode, we're going to be discussing the movie from an artistic standpoint, but we're also going to be discussing the storytelling slash plot of this movie. Yeah. So for any of you who have not seen this movie yet, go somewhere else. Go watch the movie. Yeah. What are you still doing here? Deuces. Go away. Tee. <laughs> <laughs> also, but, pre-purchase your tickets for uh, Mutant Mayhem. This this is Mayhem. grown folks film. Go watch that kitty stuff. I'm joking. I'm, you know what I'm I found joking. out today? What? So the I I found out the artist who worked on developing like the backgrounds for Mumbatten in Across Spider Verse is like is like the head of animation for something for the M- Mutant Mayhem movie. Yeah. So there's a huge I forget that there's a huge overlap between the artists who've worked on Across Spider Verse and mm-hmm. Mutant Mayhem. The head of the art direction mm-hmm. did the first Spider Verse movie. Like there are other artists that are like kind of a big deal in production that are there's like a huge amount of overlap yeah a lot of that overlap came from the uh the work on mitchell's versus the machines because obviously you know you had a lot of the team that worked on into the spider-verse carry over into that film and then the director of that film got turtles so you know he took some of those uh fine working people over onto the mute mayhem train choo-choo but that's for in a few months down the road it'll be our Tickets. We'll talk about it in a month. Yes. But <laughs> here today to talk about this probably the most incredible piece of fiction ever. Yeah. Period. Not exaggerating either. A lot of the times we exaggerate about this stuff, but genuinely, oh, like, this is one of the greatest comic book films ever made, hands down. It is. No, no, no. Maybe the. I would argue it is the greatest yeah, comic book. It might be the ever. I think. To prove to get started, but also to talk about kind of proving my point with that, yeah. we should talk about visuals in this movie. Like, Lord have mercy! <laughs> I where do we, where do you even begin? Where do you even start? Sequence. We'll start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> somehow, somehow, the team that worked on this fucking movie was able to push the animation even more than the first movie. It's not as drastic as I would say, like revolutionary kind of vibes as the first movie was for animation at the time but 
he somehow still managed to push the style even harder. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. Like, we opened the movie with the sequence with Gwen in her world, and they took kind of like a watercolor painterly effect to the animation that is fucking gorgeous. Like, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of her books, too. Um, oh, 100%. Even if you haven't read any of Gwen's comics, if you, I'm sure you've seen the covers, not not speaking to you, obviously, yeah. I know you've read it, but totally. talking to the audience, of course, if you've even just seen the covers, it has kind of that painterly vibe to it, right? You, you know the look of it, you know the vibes. And the first yeah. movie kind of, of course, you know, they, they weren't going out of their way to make several distinct styles because that idea didn't come until for the formation of the sequel. But for the first film, they took the general animation of the entire film from, let's say, Miles' universe, and they put like a bit of a filter on it to give it kind of like a look of a glare and paint streaks mm-hmm. and everything like that. And it worked very effectively in the first movie, but the level in which they increased it. For this one, insane. Absolutely insane. Ugh, no, it's it's even just like the the still frames of like the 2D animation that was thrown in here and there. Yeah. It was so much fun. Like like the animation style, like okay, aside from the fact that they kind of push the individual animation styles for the for the worlds and the characters outside of Miles. Yeah. Like, can we talk about Spider Punk for a minute? Oh. Talk about- <laughs> about him because according to people who worked on the movie it took three years alone to develop his art style and And to make his art style work you can i i don't have the numbers like down because i i don't have the movie at home to study yet but just to throw out like random kind of an idea random numbers frame rates for you animators out there uh if you're curious about it it seemed like They were animating maybe like, I don't know, his vest on fours and then his head on twos and then his arms on threes. (laughs) If you know what that means, you kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. And putting that together is not only a difficult job, but doing it uh, with how time consuming it is and having the end result look somehow as cohesive as it does on the screen, I want to vomit. Not like, not like I want to vomit at like the outcome, but you know what I mean. It's like happy vomit. Like anyway, (laughs) no, it's so incredibly impressive. Aside from the fact that like all the different parts of him are animated at like different speeds and stuff, like the colors change and you go from like a newspaper clipping kind of overlay to like pinks and purples and blues. Like somebody noticed, I saw somebody who started stringing together clips and every time he either touches Miles or like interacts with Miles, he turns like pink or purple. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. No, I, I, it's incredible how much I'm actually observing from the movie based on what I'm seeing people pick up on. Cause there's so much, like aside from the plot visually, there is a lot to dissect because it's such a, like a gorgeous film. Yeah. And it's so cinematic. Like it also happened to, like, in my opinion, I keep saying like, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's more cinematic than the first movie. No, definitely. Definitely. Oh my God. Shots. Can we? Okay, we have to talk about the cinematography real quick. We yeah. have so much. To this is going to delve into my main favorite part about the visual storytelling in this movie, which is yeah. the fact that this, we had this conversation individually, like on a different day, but this is why they should do more animated comic book movies. Yes, yes, because yes. Shots in this movie the the fact that they were doing like insert panels in shots they were God. like i've never ever 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 seen a movie capture or try to imitate comic book storytelling in the way that this movie has from editors boxes to insert panels to the kinds of shots they were using the big pull out establishing shot right. which is like classic on any comic book page to like the really big tiny like close-ups like oh my god i was i was like drooling all over this fucking movie because the storytelling is immaculate and again it's probably the closest that i've ever seen a film kind of capture comic books as a storytelling medium because i don't care what anybody says 
comic book storytelling is really specific and as a medium the storytelling is not really replicable like yeah no. there are adaptations no. for the screen or you know for animation and stuff but comic book storytelling is very very difficult to capture in any other medium and this is probably the closest that anything has ever gotten that i've ever seen before and it's fucking incredible like it's crazy absolutely i think for me right again i gotta go over it again spider-man means a lot to me i love this character and it's the character that got me into comic books it's also kind of the character that's really responsible for getting me into animation in a sense too so to have a film that celebrates both so heavily like it's not just like oh all of the praise goes into everything that comic books have done or all of the praise Mm -hmm. goes into oh this is everything that animation has done like cartoons and stuff like that it's both are served so well all the way down to the point of there is a scene the chase the whole chase sequence Mm -hmm. um you know the shot when miguel kind of like winds up he's like coming at miles it's right before he like claws the train to go up at him and miles is like oh are you sure you're really a spider-man when he does that little wind up and then he like releases everything and like his arms kind of go back and everything there's like a quick flash of a frame and in the top right corner you can see they left intentionally left like the pencil markings of the storyboard number and the editor's notes for like the animators on how to pose it when they like gave the boards off to a different team and stuff like that it's all left in the movie i did i did notice they had those um the like the gesture lines for the spot and a lot of those like earlier shots of him you can see the gesture lines where his little character was i really like when animation does that and i think it fits really well with the spot too it kind of as the movie goes on they don't do it as much yeah but there are a lot of especially when miles and him first start fighting in the bodega you can see that yeah and i thought that was really cool i always enjoy when they have that especially i'm sorry i'm gonna go back to miguel but his his the way he's drawn yeah in comparison to other spider people his line work is not super clean it's not in the sense that you have like pencil lines since you brought up miguel i there was something about him that i haven't seen a lot of people talk about and it's actually a deep cut comic reference again i have purposefully been avoiding a lot of the online talk about the movie just because i'm waiting for the movie to come to blu-ray so i can see what i can find upon multiple rewatches but one thing i noticed the moment we saw the movie it's right before miles goes back quote unquote home i want to say it's because miles he absorbed like all of the energy out of his suit right yeah and it left the suit black and red you you get it because there's a whole debate in the spider-man community about is miguel's suit blue and red or black and red Mm -hmm. because of the you know the shading technique because some people are like oh it's black because he's shaded the same way that they shade venom but we all recognize that venom is black but why do we assume that 2099 suit is blue when they're done in the same technique in the comics themselves the characters refer to his suit being black and red but over over the years i guess so many people just started depicting it as blue that that's just kind of that's just kind of what stuck so i like that in this film they kind of gave them both when the suits powered up it's blue and red and when the power is gone it's black and red that's so cool i love that i did think that was super cool that is a very cool i didn't notice that they did that in the movie but yeah. that is a classic spider-man debate because a lot of artists when they're coloring black suits or whatever to yeah. offset the size solid black they use blue, blue as like cast lighting yeah so that has always been kind of like the great debate right like there's a really famous like secret wars cover that has venom suit on it and it has like blue on it but it's yeah. not meant to be blue it's supposed to be a black suit with a blue cast exactly shadow. that's really fun i didn't know that it's yeah. that in the movie <laughs> yeah i would I was going to say it while we were watching it, but I was like, I've been leaning over way too much. (laughs) Oh my God. Another thing that I really liked about Miguel's design specifically, they changed a lot from that the after credits yeah, scene from the first the first film like i saw somebody took screenshots from the after credits scene and they put them together so you could see the comparison back to back and the suit from miguel's build who like the design of the suit the red markings on the suit are totally different 
And they almost have like a Mesoamerican inspired design for the mm. new suit. And I thought that was really, really fucking cool. It looks so much better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He's way more imposing and way scarier and like way more intense, um, which I really like. Like as yeah. somebody, we're not going to get into his character right now. <laughs> his design was really cool and i think it really complemented his character really well and it, they did a good job of revamping him for the second movie yeah his silhouette reminded me of like how bruce tim would draw his characters yeah, in the yeah. dc animated yeah. universe i felt like his silhouette would fit in just well and like justice league unlimited so or something build yeah yeah <laughs> I, I can see that i can see that but the visuals ugh, can we okay here's a theory that i've been seeing floating around on the internet regarding the visuals yeah um specifically regarding gwen there mm-hmm. is talk amongst people uh gwen is actually trans i know this is like a lot of people are fighting about this because people are mad people have pointed out that her color palette in her world is white pink and blue obviously as we know the colors the trans flag and has a lot of like she has a trans flag in her room hung up and somebody noticed that on her father's police uniform there's a trans flag pin on that too but i thought it was really cool aside from the fact that like her the writing for her character in this movie definitely i think is relatable to a lot of trans kids and their experiences with that parents i think that the visuals of trying to imply that was actually really fucking cool i mean i think there's even there's like a shot where you see the blue white and pink on her hair because her hair at the ends they dyed it pink for this movie so there's a shot where the lighting literally looks like the flag on her hair and that's like i don't know i was like oh my god are they really gonna like i don't know i got really excited i was like wow they really they might be committing to this. I don't know if they will because state of the world, but it's okay. I think that anybody that sees themselves in her has every right to. But anyway, moving on. Moving oh, on, yeah. LOL. Um, let's talk about the actual plot of this movie a little bit. I think um, I think it's time to get into the actual story mm-hmm. because there's a lot to unpack. Alrighty. <laughs> Everybody who watches, we're not going to rehash the plot for you because... You saw the movie in theaters, you know what happens. But I do want to talk about foreshadowing the start because that was the thing that killed me. I remember when they announced this movie, I was like, what? They're doing a sequel? Like the first movie was perfect by itself. And for like a split second, I thought, oh my God, is this some kind of cash grab? You know, like the first movie did really well. Maybe they're trying to capitalize on the success of the first movie and make another one when I don't really feel that it needs a sequel. Like, it's very good on its own. And I was really scared. But before we went into this movie, we rewatched the first one, which... A classic. I love that movie. Yes. It's incredible. Perfect. To this day. I don't care. But looking back, like, re-watching the first movie and then immediately watching across the spider-verse basically immediately after i was like wow they've been planning this the whole fucking time the whole fucking time <sighs> like the first thing that i remembered miles gets bit by the spider it was like glitching out and when i first watched the movie my thought was like oh this is just like a stylistic choice i thought it was just like a like a plot driven moment i was like oh this is just supposed to imply that the spider is like radioactive or some shit like i i didn't think much of it other than it's a stylistic slash story visual storytelling choice that doesn't actually hold that much bearing and it has 42 on its back yeah so in this next movie when they're like oh yeah like it's from another dimension i was like what (laughs) like they they were planning this thing the whole fucking time if you rewatch into the spider-verse the fucking foreshadowing in that movie is wild it's fucking wild after you watch this next movie every little thing there are so many references to 42 in the first movie there are references to more interdimensional travel to other characters i'm like wow this is they really like they they knew what they were doing it makes me wonder like what stuff that uh this movie like i mean because watching the first one for the first time obviously you don't have a sequel yet to look at the first one in a retrospective sense and be like oh man this is like set up from jump so i'm wondering what little nuances in this film you know are more significant than you know they're kind of letting on right now i'm wondering 
thinking about that too because I feel like these the people in the writing room need some kind of award because the way they just blindsided everybody like everybody's gonna be in the same kind of way like we're all gonna look back and be like oh wow so that's what that meant actually like it seemed like a benign situation but actually it's the everything situation I I could fully see that happening when the next movie comes out next year if it comes out next year (laughs) speaking of everything have you seen the the bagel parallels to everything all at once i have (laughs) oh my god my second favorite multiversal movie there were a lot of references aside from the fact that the spots whole spiel is getting hit by the bagel there's a billboard in the background of a scene i saw that yeah says like everything all at once or something with a bagel on it yeah there are a lot of references to bagels they're connected Real recognized real, I guess, because <laughs> these are officially Across the Spider-Verse is now my first favorite multiversal movie, but everything everywhere all it takes a lot for me to agree to dethrone everything everywhere all at once because that movie changed like the whole trajectory of my life. Across the Spider-Verse has officially dethroned it as number one. Yeah. So <laughs> my number one is this, my number two is into the spider. <laughs> That's valid. Yeah. That's valid, I guess. I guess. We're, we're not going to get into this, but... Anyway, the foreshadowing in this movie is fucking batshit. And then... Okay, speaking of which, let's actually talk about, in that vein, let's talk about what our theories are for the next movie. Okay. Um, You have to flashpoint it. I feel like that's the only way. I feel like... Okay. It's going to be a flashpoint situation, but not to where Miles is going to reset everything. I feel like he's going to make it to where Earth 42 Miles becomes Spider-Man. Maybe at the expense of him losing his powers. Uh, I don't know how you bring in time travel necessarily (laughs) into this. The only thing I can think of is in the first movie... Gwen, when she came to Miles' universe, she came a week prior. Why? That was kind of random. I feel like that's going to kick our butts in the next movie because they still haven't fully done anything with that. That's what makes me think that has to be a window open for time travel. Yeah. So the only thing I can think to settle everything, Miles gives up the spider back to its rightful home. That universe is Miles gets bitten become spider-man it sounds like a sad ending because it's like oh so the miles that we've been following just isn't spider-man no i think that you know blonde pete is just going to live out the rest of his days as spider-man as intended it'll get to the point to where he dies and our miles still gets bitten but by a different spider that's actually native to his world so you think he's gonna restart as spider-man after they flashpoint it yeah i do okay So this is where we completely go off the deep end because Mm. I have a completely opposite theory to you. Okay. Basically. In the sense that I think the concept of this canon thing is a load of bullshit, Mm. actually. I think Miles is in the right. I am full on like, Miles, you can save your dad. You can Mm. do it. I don't... One of his parents is going to die. Like, I have a bad feeling like going to happen. Yeah. Especially after the fucking conversation that Miles has with his mom. Yeah. I like they might kill his mom Loki. Yeah. I, I don't know if i can emotionally handle that I, I will break down horribly but i feel that one of his parents might still die but i do think the canon thing is a load of hooey like i think it's i think it's bullshit yeah, i i i'm kind of with you to where i think the whole point is for miles to defy the destiny quote unquote kind of like yeah. what tom's peter did in no way home by saving the villains from their fate yeah. However, it's like from the point of like, I think it's going to end in a way where Miles defies the canon. Maybe Uh he saves both of his parents or maybe the mom dies. Um, But either way, I feel like there has to be a level of giving up power and a level of defying the canon because I feel like it would be messed up to resolve this without Earth 42 Miles getting what was, you know, 
meant to be his. Yeah. I feel like it would be kind of messed up not to give that a bow, like tie that up with a bow for the sake of our miles, just because he's the one we've been following. But also on the flip side, when it comes to who was in the right between the Spider Society and Miles, I'm more on Miles' side than anybody else's. If I was in the same situation, heck yeah. And I don't agree with the way that Miguel went about it, but at the same time, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I don't think he should have done what he did, but, and I don't blame Miles because he didn't know, but because of what he did, now Spider-Man India's entire universe is at stake. Here's my spiel. Yeah. Oh, Miguel's fucking sob story. Something about that shit, something about his story it's kind of fishy. Oh, you think he's fake. manipulating this? Yeah. I don't. No. I think he's, shit. I think I he's think just completely whole, misguided. Whole, I think no. he's just so stubborn in his belief that he can't accept the idea of there being something else out there. Because Miguel's a hero still. He's very <laughs> twisted. But I don't think he's manip. I don't think he, he's not a full on no. villain. I don't think he would manipulate I don't think this. He's a villain, but I do think he is fully manipulating the situation. How so? I'm curious. So if, right, his whole, the universe that he entered into and like took over that guy's life, the guy in the universe that he took over, he wasn't Spider-Man. He wasn't related to Spider-Man. He was just a dude, mm-hmm. right? Like he had basically, his ver- the version of himself and the universe that he took his life over. Yeah. It's basically, a, like, he's, like, just a guy. He's just a fucking guy. He has nothing to do with Spider-Man in that world. Right. So, Miguel taking over his life didn't technically alter anything. Because his his goal isn't to become Spider-Man. His goal isn't to disrupt Spider-Man's role. It's literally just to take over the life of a dude who has no fucking importance. He's just a guy who has a kid and is married. That's it. Right. So that's that's sketchy thing number one, because he's just taking over rando dude's life. If anything, that should disrupt the existence of his home universe, Mm -hmm. because Spider-Man has left his home universe to take over the life of some rando dude in another universe. The other guy's universe is the one that collapsed. So that's fucking weird. That's fucking weird. Okay, that's sketchy thing number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, Mayday Parker. Her existence is literally proof that the canon is bullshit, in my personal opinion. When when Peter, when Peter B. Parker having that conversation with Miles, like right before he's like betrayed him and the Spider Society is like going after his ass, basically. Right. That boiler furnace room, whatever. And he's like, he's like, look at her. I had her because of you. He's not saying like he's saying it's kind of like in a sweet in my personal opinion. It's like, a, oh, I had her because I thought I could be a father because I thought I was a good mentor to you. It has kind of a double meaning, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, Sp- Spider-Man having a family and having a kid is not normal Spider-Man behavior. Yeah, to be that's honest. true. So Mayday's existence, right, is like a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Because he's essentially broken the canon and nothing has happened. Nothing has fucking happened in his universe in so far. Yeah. Right? She's she's like, what, like one or two years old? Yeah. Like, some shit would have happened by now. So that's weird, too, right? Spider-Man, or Miles, I should say, has been Spider-Man for like two years. They say that at the beginning of the movie, or around two-ish years. Yeah. Again, nothing has happened. Earth-42, Miles is not Spider-Man. The world still exists. Yeah. Like, there are just so many exceptions to the canon at this point that... I'm like, there's got to be something weird. Like, there's something weird about this situation where so many of these Spider-Man worlds are not adhering to the canon to the point where I'm like, what the fuck is the canon? Like, we, it doesn't seem right that this is the situation that is happening. Like, there's something really weird about it. And I feel like Miguel is only giving us half the story. Like, he only really seems to want to explain enough to give people seed of doubt about why things should be the way they should be and things are playing out the way they are but i don't actually think that he's giving us the full fucking story mm-hmm. he's hiding something and i think that the rest of the people believe it it's a lot of fucking pressure for spider-man who's the guy that literally puts everybody else above himself yeah and is hopeful for the the people around them. Like it's weird. I, I think it's weird. I don't think we have the full story. I think something is off. That would make so sense, I, honestly. I yeah. Shit 
I don't trust him for shit. I don't. <laughs> I just think for me, I think initially I thought you were coming at it from the angle of like he's doing it with malicious slash villainous intent. But if it's just from a place of more so like selfishness, not really from a line of villainy, yeah. I could see that. I could see that. No, I don't think he's trying to be evil on purpose. Yeah. I just think, yeah, I think he, there is a level of like selfishness slash like. That would check out. I don't think he's like full out evil. If there's something weird there going on yeah. that we don't know about. Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Like, I just, I don't trust that man. There's something very strange about yeah. him and his motives. Well, I do wonder what does trigger it then, right? You know, I've been thinking about that too. The other thing about, okay, so the clip where, the moment when you see they're showing that new world that Miguel went to is like collapsing. Yeah. He's in his suit. Mm-hmm. and that might not have a lot of significance it might just be like oh he put on his suit because something was wrong but it could also be that maybe he was like jumping back and forth like maybe he was doing some kind of weird ass shit where he was um fucking around with time and space yeah trying to maintain being both spider-man in his world and having a family in another world at the travel, the constant travel between dimensions, fucking with the other universe. Yeah. Um, like, they just, obviously, we don't have any information yet because yeah. the movie hasn't come out. But I truly believe that there is some kind of messing about and things that he should not have been tampering with. Now Possibly he's so, like yeah. The weird, protective dad of the multiverse yeah that would check out yeah he can't have his cake and eat it too reference (laughs) also can we talk about how the cake reference in this movie yeah there are a lot of cake moments like Mm. obviously you have the counselor make that statement she's like oh you can't have your cake and eat it too and he's like well you just got to get two cakes and then when he's going to his dad's party, he buys two cakes yeah. because he's trying to say he has so much to say that he's like, well, if I just get two cakes, I can fit it all on there. Right. But by the time he gets back to his parents, both cakes are fucked up. Yeah. Do the cakes represent the universe? I don't know. Could seems like be him effective storytelling to me. Yeah. Trying to rescue his dad and save the multiverse. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it could be the truth. It could not be the truth. We'll have to find out. If Miguel is hiding something, why didn't Miles himself have the vision of his dad? I don't think he could have like implemented that into his head. And same thing no. with Spider-Man India's universe actually collapsing after what Miles did. The only thing that puts a hole in my theory so far is the collapse of the Spider-Man India Mumbai yeah. universe. But low-key, I still think there's something weird about that. Like something about that is still kind of sketch. That and the Miles thing are the only two things. But everything else seems pretty But I fully blame the vision on the spot, low-key. Yeah, which Miles completely, you know, was responsible for and Miguel wasn't present for that. Yeah. And it kind of perfectly aligns with Miguel's whole canon event theory about captains dying so it's crazy that would just perfectly like land into his master plan that's the only thing though i think we'll harp on this too long because we're talking about my silly silly fake theory no it's fun no it's really fun (laughs) i like your theory but i feel i feel as though i don't know i feel like Maybe there is some truth to the canon thing. Like, I'm I'm sure that the canon is sort of like a guideline for the universe to yeah. abide by. But I don't think it's as serious as Miguel claims that it is. Yeah. I guess it's like more elaborated version of my theory. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that deep. Yeah. You know, I, like I think, I, the <laughs> I think he just, something. he believes yeah. it so much that he's like just not. Yeah comprehensive of the fact that it could be defied i guess that i don't know guess we'll find Loki, out in three. i think he did something fucked up and is deflecting blame and or can't accept that he did something so fucked up yeah that he's blaming it on breaking the canon yeah i think he needs to go to therapy actually yeah what no, it is no. probably man's needs which is like it's right down the hall so, yeah let me guess he died yeah. <laughs> let me guess Anyway, <laughs> you know what we should talk about? What's that? The spot. Let's talk about the spot. 
What are your feelings? How are you feeling? I He was really entertaining in the first act. Yeah. But Period. to a degree to where I was like, is he really going to be the main villain? Yeah, I kind of felt that way. Yeah, too. it wasn't bad. It was just like, this feels like movie opener villain and not main villain. To see... Uh, <laughs> Uh, just to see the spot kind of grow into what he did was really cool by the end of the movie. Um, his motivations are really simplistic. And while I don't I think it's as compelling of a story or as engaging as what they did with Fisk, I feel like it is a cool parallel to Miles and his place as being a Spider-Man if he's willing to live up to a title like that. You know, him being yeah. an anomaly, the spot being a villain of the week. And them trying to forge their own paths to be the greatest hero, the greatest villain. I think it's a cool parallel. I agree. I I don't know. I I heavy on the weak motivations thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the spot is a lot of fun. I do like the little moment in the bodega that was really that was probably one of my favorite moments in the movie when they're duking it out across the city. Basically, yeah, that was really fun. But he, aside from the fact that his animation is terrifying, like truly and utterly horrific, yeah, I feel as though his motivations are half baked. With Wilson Fisk, it was so like his arc. However, like he didn't really have that much screen time. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like yeah. he. We got way more screen time with Uncle Aaron than we ever did with Wilson Fisk, despite the fact that he is technically the big bad yeah. in the first movie. Wilson Fisk's character arc is more succinct than the spot feels currently. And obviously this is part one of two. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that the spot's going to have a crazy arc in the next movie, or at least we'll see a really interesting conclusion slash explanation of the first half. Yeah. But as it stands now, I do feel that the spot, he's just kind of like, I'm fucking evil because I'm bitter. <laughs> I want to take like it's a, It seems like a very basic villain plot. Yeah. And that kind of disappoints me because I like, I like when Spider-Man gets villains that have, I don't know, I like a more complex villain. I like a villain that has a little bit more gray area. Yeah. Um, and while I can kind of see that with the spot, currently feel... I don't know. I feel like I can empathize with him a lot less than I could with Wilson Fisk. Yeah. In the first I, I think it came off as more of a problem for you than it did for me. Yeah. E- even coming out of the theater. Cause yeah, I mean, it, it's to me, to me, the way that I took it, I, I didn't feel that it was necessarily a weak motivation. I just felt that it was very simple. Yeah. And that That's was, fair. I feel like it was nice, I guess, due to the, all the complexity we're being fed with, Here's a lore on the web of destiny. Here's everything going on with Gwen and her father. Here's everything going on with Miles and his parents. Here's everything going on Earth 42. Having the villain have something simple enough to latch onto, I felt contrasted well against all of the world building they had to do in this movie. And just the understanding of, you know, I, it's very subtle, but I kind of I kind of feel like this is what I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 wanted to do with Electro. Yeah. Where the spot is introduced and he's had to turn his life around to a place of crime. And yes, it's played up for comedic effect in the early goings. But when mm-hmm. you really think about it, when he explains his origin and everything, he had a good job. You know, he was yeah. doing pretty well for himself. And then this kid gets bitten by a spider, throws a bagel at him and alters yeah. his entire body to where he loses his livelihood. And he's doing what he can with what he has just to turn around and be mm-hmm. called a villain of the week. Like he's not important. Like it's subtle, but it's enough for me to be like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get why you would have a vengeance against this dude. I Part of me is just like, this is the most insane level of pettiness that I've ever <laughs> fucking seen in my life. But yeah. I almost can't take him seriously. Like, I take him seriously, and he's fucking terrifying. Yeah. By the end of the movie, I'm, like, quaking in my boots, practically. But as he's starting to build up momentum, I'm just like, this motherfucker is petty. Yeah. I, he is so fucking petty for no reason. Like, I like think obviously, it, he has... I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, no, you're fine. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think if they had more moments of him, because I think Spider-Man movies are the best thing to reference when talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, If they gave the spot with just as much comedic moments as we had with him, if they gave him a a scene all to himself, like a Sandman Spider-Man 3 moment 
where yeah, it's just visual storytelling. Like what's heartbreaking about this, the birth of the Sandman scene in Spider-Man three, there's no dialogue in that whole sequence, but you feel the pain and why he hates Spider-Man through one animation. And that's when he goes to reach for a locket of his sick daughter and his hand just turns into dust and he can't even grab it. It's like Spider-Man and like, like that's, I mean, granted in that movie, that wasn't Spider-Man's fault, but in this case, right? Like have the spot go to do something like a simple action that he's very passionate about. And because of how his body was altered, he can't do it. That's enough for me to be like, oh man, that's terrible. You know, but I guess since he didn't get that moment, it it kind of lessens his character a bit for some people. Again, I'm fine with what we got. I'm totally fine with what we got, but I feel like that would have given him an extra layer, uh, even if it was just like one scene. No, actually, now that you've said that, I think that if they had included something like that, because again, what what I like about a villain is that to some extent, I can empathize with the villain. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like their motivations maybe fucked up and like what they're doing fucked up but like i'm a sucker for a good i got ripped for my family so now i'm gonna go off and do some fucked up shit to try and remedy that situation which is why fisk is like to me is more compelling because you get those moments like like you said there's more visual storytelling yeah you get the whole scene of uh vanessa dying yeah on the train so you know again now that you've said that i think if they had included something like that for the spot because every time he brought it up it was still kind of under like a comedic light yeah like he was sort of making fun of himself cracking jokes as he's being dramatic right so you're kind of i don't know i felt a little blindsided when he goes full on i'm gonna kill your fucking parents yeah that's true yeah <laughs> okay kill, like god i don't know i I think he's going to be, I think I just have to be patient and that in the next movie, his character is going to go from terrifying to really batshit insane. Yeah. Scary. So I, I'm not a hater. I love him yeah. a lot. I just, I just think he needs more work, which we'll probably see. Another character that I want to see who was played up for comedic value in this film, but I think could use a bit more character to like go from like, oh, you were kind of bumbling at first, but there's something to you. Ben Riley. Yeah. I feel like they're going to, you know, Spider-Man noir him. <laughs> so, Ben Riley, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a Ben Riley fan I kinda or liked, anything, but I kind of liked what they did with him. No, me too. I don't have a problem with it. I, I know some people I hate know. it. I'm not a Ben Riley fan like that, but yeah, to no. me, they didn't do anything to him that they didn't do to noir, right? Like Spider versus Noir is a more comedic take on the comic book character. It takes the tropes of Noir and makes a parody out of it. They did the same thing with Scarlet Spider. The only thing is we spent more time with Noir and we got tender moments of him saying, I love you guys, which makes us like him. I feel like if they give him just a couple scenes like that in the next one, people might shut up about him. (laughs) Look, I know the fanboys are mad because they took Scarlet Spider and they made fun of the fact that he is the most 90s motherfucker ever. Yeah. But I thought that was really funny. Me like too. as somebody who's who's been studying comic books and doing comic art for like seriously for the last year, the amount of inside jokes I have with my my friends and like all my art professors and stuff about how batshit and like anatomically incorrect '90s comic books are. Ugh, the jo- the muscle joke <laughs> yeah. that took me out. I was like, this is too funny. Like they are they're self aware as fuck. It's it was great. Yeah. I was perfect. I was like, this is, this is, this is perfect. I love this. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. And I know the fanboys were mad, but oh, I legitimately thought it was good. If we only see him for this movie and that's like the end all be all situation of Scarlet Spider appearing in the movies, I'm okay with that. I can die yeah. happy. I'm fine. Teehee. <laughs> but it would be fun to see him in the next one fully. Yeah. Too. Let's talk about Hobie Brown. My name's Ob Ob Brown. My God. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Um, so Hobie, this is an interesting take on him as somebody who loves the Spider Punk comics and knows a lot about Hobie, but also has personal experience with the punk scene and punk culture. Hobie is interesting. I love him so much. 
But also in the comics, Hobie Brown is like an American punk kid who is like fighting fascism in the United States. The Hobie in the movie is giving Sex Pistols cool guy vibes. And I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't go more comic accurate because... Hobie in the comics is hardcore as fuck. While I love Hobie in the movie, I wish they had taken more of that route. Well, love, I love. it sounds to me like they just did the same thing with Ben Riley. You know, <laughs> the Ben Riley yeah. fans like he's so hardcore and extreme in the comics. Why didn't they lean into that? Yeah. It's just the nature of Spider Verse at this point. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's funny. Right. There's this weird misconception that British people invented punk. I don't know. I don't want to get into the whole course about punk history and punk culture and like where it comes from, but there is this weird misconception that bands like the Sex Pistols invented punk when yeah. bands like the Sex Pistols are like manufactured punk bands yeah. ever. Like, and I don't want to get into it, but the the Sex Pistols were literally boy band. Almost the way that they were managed and the way that they gained popularity in the scene Um, from even from having like collaborating with designers like Vivian Westwood. There was a level of commercialization for music and their popularity that doesn't actually align with the traditional punk scene. So I did think it was an interesting choice that they made him British. But again, it comes with that misconception. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. I I will say. Yeah, go casting choice made up for it. Daniel Kaluuya, I love that man. He was perfect in this movie. He was so good. I thought they just tweaked it because of Daniel. Honestly, either way, I'm, I I like his character. He still has that like fuck the government, fuck capitalism vibes. Just think, okay, he was like the realest person in the spiders. Yeah. That was the other thing that I was like, I forgive everyone because he was the only one that was like Miles. Use your do palms. what you want to do, buddy. Like, here's here's all this shit that I stole for you, and go fuck some shit up, dude. You can do whatever you want. Like, yeah. he is fully supportive. I, I love him anyway because he's he he gives a fuck. Uh, he he's like the realest member of the Spider Society. So, I I have to give it to him. All right. Yeah, he's he's pretty epic. I just think it's I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of bitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm being I'm being annoying, but it's no. fine. Um, we should talk about Miles though. Actually, yeah. I know this episode is getting like mad long, but I do want to talk about Miles? Yeah, since he's like the protagonist, right. the, the 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 head honcho, the main guy, the little dude that yeah. we're following. It's funny. Prior to going into the movie, you said that you'd heard from a lot of people that he was going to have like an arc, and that definitely like. I went into the movie after you said that to me, and I was like, yeah, he had a fucking arc, like hardcore. He doesn't feel anything like the Miles in the first movie by the end of it. Uh, He still, of course, doesn't fully, you know, feel like Spider-Man proper just yet, which I'm sure we'll get that by part three. But, you know, you see a lot of hints throughout the movie that he has grown, but obviously he still has a lot of work to do with his first yes. encounter with the spy and the little kid being like, oh, I don't think I want his costume anymore. Or him swinging with Gwen, but purposefully staying behind her so she doesn't see him messing up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's cool to see stuff like that. He, he's confident in it. But on the Spider-Man side of things, he still has things to work on. And I really liked um, just from Miles as a character, a lot of the character work with him and his parents because a lot of the conversations that were done there very easily could have become oh you guys just don't understand teenager bratty attitude yeah or parents that don't understand anything come off as stupid but i think they wrote them both with equally fair amounts of us as an audience understanding where they're coming from but also giving them both equally enough amount of fault on both sides i think Mm -hmm. it was very equally uh distributed so i was happy with how that all played out definitely agree i think i'm loving the positive representation for immigrant parents vibes uh especially coming from his mom that that was a really really powerful thing to see on screen i love the writing for his parents in this movie like like you said it could have easily gone from them being like oh you're a bratty teenager i don't get it whatever but they them being genuinely invested in his well-being even when he keeps fucking up so hard is really a testament to how well they're written 
And I do really, really love the struggle that he has. It's a classic Spider-Man thing for him to not be able to balance all of his, all like everything going on in his life. For him to feel very alone and want to tell his parents about the kind of weight that he has on his shoulders just so he's not the only one in his little, his little bubble. But he also understands the risks. Like he is definitely 15 in this movie, but he has a lot of maturity really level-headed and he's making classic spider-man dilemma choices and he's handling it with a lot of grace and i really i really appreciate that personally i was a really but you can also the crippling loneliness that this man is going through yeah like the whole time like you really feel that the emotional beats of him being seemingly left in the dust every five minutes and having no one to talk to about what is going on with his life and how he's being stretched so thin like almost feel the pressure that he's under when you're sitting in the theater you can put yourself into his shoes and be like wow i I, yeah it's a lot okay another thing so it looks like we're gonna get to see a lot of our buddies from the first movie in the next movie which i'm super happy about spider-man noir penny penny has officially gone through her depression arc yeah bro she was so sad and her suit got upgraded more comic accurate she has in the comic books which means that all the fucked up shit that happens in her comic books has already happened to her that's it's really sad yeah so i'm interesting to i'm interested to see how what she's like um she's not she's also super emo yeah (laughs) i am excited to see a japanese spider-man in the next movie though yeah, I want to see Christopher yeah. uh, Daniel Barnes come back. Yeah, animated series Spider Man nineties. Again, you are much more aware of the things in that show because I did not watch that show coming up, mm. and I also technically I know probably even less about Japanese Spider Man, but I've seen like three clips, and he has my whole heart because yeah. he's excellent. He's so cool. It would kind of be weird now that I think about it not to have. Christopher Daniel Barnes return from Spider-Man, the animated series. Cause if I'm not mistaken, that show was the first time they fully went in on the Spider-Verse concept. Cause the series, the, the series finale. In that oh, I'm show, sorry. What's up? Right? No, I just said it wasn't 2099 in that show. Ben Riley was. Uh, Never mind. But the series finale of that show literally yeah. did the Spider Verse before the comics did, if I'm not mistaken. Oh shit! Yeah. That's so that would be weird if he's not in that, considering he's the first one to meet alternate universe Spider Man. That's fully true. Yeah. Actually, didn't even think. I'm about excited. That. I hope he has a pretty big part in the next movie, and he's not just like a two second cameo. Yeah. He has. A, like a solid amount of screen time. What would you overall, what would you rate this movie? 10 out of 10. What do you mean? Come on now. Not higher? Fine. Bagel out of 10. Bagel out of 10? Yeah. I would rate it an empanada from the Spider Society cafeteria out of 10. Across the Spider Verse <laughs> earns a 20.99 out of 10. Perfect. Exactly. 100% what I was going for. Nice. Uh, <laughs> see it. If you haven't, <laughs> go watch it in theaters now thanks for tuning in folks Thank this episode you. was kind of a decent we was. had a good time we did yeah 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 okay um, um <laughs> i can hear you screaming out calling me uh it's my fault um um bye i'm about to go peter parker let's go That was goofy.